Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, Matt Wild here, flying solo. I have no idea where my tag team partner went, but welcome to Blown Spot, the pro wrestling podcast here on Realm of the Mist Entertainment. And, you know, my years into wrestling said that turnabout's always fair play. And really, a good feud always ends in a rubber match, which means best of three. So we can consider this part two. My guest tonight is a radio DJ host from Blind Cafe Radio, a royal pain in my ass for at least eight years of my professional wrestling career, but a awesome friend from Orlando, Florida, Mr. Lightning, Blind Mike, Mr. 2020. And that's right. You don't forget Mr. 2020. Nobody forgets Mr. 2020. Hey, Mr. 2020, uh, screwed up my shins a couple times and my back. I, I don't think I could forget Mr. 2020 all too much. <laughs> <laughs> for those uh, listening for the first time here, uh, Mr. 2020, a.k.a. Lightning Blind Mike, was, uh, was a professional wrestler but also owner of Rocky Mountain Championship Wrestling out in... Uh, where was where was the main city? Like it was Colorado, but would we just say Denver or was it was it, Lakewood? It was Lakewood. Well, right. we actually started in Lakewood, and then we then we moved up north to uh, Lafayette, but that was way later. So I would say Lakewood. Okay, yeah. So it originating in Lakewood, Colorado, uh, obviously taking care of the territories all around the the Denver area. Um, and points outside. I mean, uh, we're going to be digging well into it. The man has had an illustrious career, and the catch of it all, for those that are not familiar, he did it with a sight impairment, which we will go into full details on uh, during this first segment here, which is the interview segment where we get to know our guest. And my guest tonight, Mr. Lightning Blind Mike, first and foremost, what even attracted you to this crazy business of ours? <laughs> well, wait a minute. That's funny. You should ask, Matt. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> honestly, the very first time I was 13 years old, the very first wrestling match I saw was between uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. I can't remember who his other opponent was, but watching Jake the Snake Roberts wrestle for the first time, that caught my eye, and I said, "That's what I want to do." So that was that was your idol growing up was uh, Jake Roberts. Honestly, yes, to be quite honest. And then finding out later, drugs, alcohol, not, I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're, if you're basing your, your idols on, on their drug and alcohol use, I mean, we wouldn't be able to like any of the people we like. <laughs> but his in-ring... No, I just, uh, I really do. His in-ring personality and his movesets, that's, that's what attracted you? Like, what was it about Jake Roberts uh, that, that... Just the show itself. I mean... Okay, you're going to call me lame here in a second, and that's when I'll have to kick your butt afterwards. But <laughs> I'm going to say that the first time I saw that, the first time I saw that, I said, uh, that's pretty cool. I actually thought it was real at the time. I was a 13. It was, what, 1986, 87, something like that. And... I just thought it was real, and I was like, I want to do that. I want to be that person. All right. But I, but I never did bring a snake to the ring. I was too scared. <laughs> it was cool, but I'll never touch one. <laughs> Is that why we never had Jake Roberts in the RMCW? <laughs> no, honestly, I would have loved to have him, but at that point in time, 
remember, he was uh, jacked up. He came out to Colorado once, and he was sober as can be, but five minutes before he had to go out to the ring, he drank down a 12-pack and did other stuff, and he was so drunk when he walked out to the ring, it was pathetic. A lot of old-school wrestlers did that. I remember, uh, you know, God rest his soul, but I remember I remember uh, Jimmy Snuka wouldn't get in the ring unless you gave him a carton of cigarettes and a bottle of Jack. Yeah. <laughs> See, I had Jimmy Snuka on RMCW with uh, Honky Tonk Man, One Man Gang, which that's a story in itself. you got to hear that story here in a minute. But uh, Snuka, though, he uh, didn't act that way. I, that had to have been a rumor. That was him acting that way because I actually hired him and he went out to the ring, and he even did the dive off the top rope. I said, can you do your splash? And he did. He looked at me as in, you're crazy. I'm 70-some years or 60-some years old at the time, and he <laughs> still did it. I mean, he did it. He did exactly what I asked, and that's what you call a professional. Absolutely. Now, yes, it was a rumor um, because of the fact that uh, what, was, what was it? It was a... Uh... I believe it was Mr. Bulky's Candy Store um, he was doing a, an appearance at. And the owner had told me that that was his demand for, for doing the meet and greet at the candy store. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the guy just got ribbed on that one. Probably. <laughs> but, um, all right, so yeah, through the years you got into the, to the WWE after after following uh, Jake Jake. Uh, Roberts, I even say WWE, but pro wrestling in general. When did it become something that you actively pursued, not just going from fan base, but turning around and, and searching out a school and, and taking the dive, so well, to speak? I talked about it for a long time. There was a friend of mine, his name was Big, I called him Big Jim. He was six foot at seven, almost six foot eight. 240 pounds so i mean he wasn't huge because you know he was only 640 but he uh told me one day said hey dennis condry is advertising check this out in the thrifty nickel (laughs) he's looking for people to become wrestlers and he brought it to me and i signed up but jim did not because you know the it it all came down to training of the money and all that and uh i just pursued my career as soon as that, but I was um, twenty years old, twenty-one years old when I did it. Okay, and during that time, like what people may not realize, like when I when I mentioned that uh, of your your son impairment, you have a degenerative eye condition, correct? Where like when you were younger, you you had perfect vision. Forgive the pun. We'll get to that tag team in a little bit. <laughs> um, but. Uh, <laughs> But it, it slowly started fading away. First, you would need glasses, and then glasses weren't even helping and, and all. Where, where was your vision when you started your training? Correct. I actually started uh, I started losing my sight at about seven, eight years old. I had 20, 20 until I was about then. Time I graduated from high school, I had 2,100 vision uh, included nearsightedness. Now, what they called that, was star guard macular degeneration. As you know, an older person gets macular when they hit 60, 70 years old and it gets worse. Right. Well, I got it as a child. That's why they called it star guard. But uh, it started degenerating, you know, like I said, about eight, nine years old. Now I forgot the rest of your question. <laughs> well, it was, it was essentially where, where was your eyes when you started your training? Like, like how much 
much vision did you have when you started? About 2,200, 2,300, which is what they called it. It was a little bit more. It was considered a little bit worse than legally blind. So at that time, I was able to see maybe only 20 feet in front of me before it got real blurry. Okay. And during so that, so just picture a ring from one side to the other. Rings only 18 by 18. A big one is. Well, they're the ones that WWE uses 20 by 20. So imagine standing on the edge of the ring. And on the other side of the ropes of the other side, I couldn't see past that except for it got blurry. I can I can imagine because I was nearsighted. Um, I could see you, but I you'd be blurry to me. So like when when you gave me an Iggy in the ring or something like that, I could see the gesture. But if you were trying to give me sign language, I wouldn't be able to read it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wasn't that the other way around when you're trying to give me Iggy's? And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> a couple times I forgot. But, uh, you got to go to the bathroom. It's down the hall, buddy. <laughs> but it, it, it does raise a question. Like, uh, during your training, like, even before getting into the ring, how much difficulty did you have learning this craft? Um, was it Was it something that just even with the the lack of vision or did you find it more difficult and maybe in turn uh more of a challenge than say the average uh trainee the, the average green okay uh you remember rush and one you remember romeo of course right and his tag team partner i can't remember his, his original tag team partner I know who you're talking about. I can't think of his name, but yes. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. But I went through training with them at the exact same time. And when I went through training, yes, I still had that eyesight issue. So what I, how I made it work for me so I could learn everything, as in the holds and stuff, I actually made the other guy put the hold on me first during training. Once, I, once the hold was put on me and Dennis described it at the same time, then I was able to match that hold for hold, if that makes sense. No, no, that that does make sense. But it, because of because of the uh, the condition is is why I've got to ask the questions. Like, and again, I don't have anything personally to compare it to. So you know, for myself and for the listeners, you know, really digging in, they can understand like what what kind of a, a I don't want to use the term trial it was for you, but you know how much extra you had to put into it, obviously because of a passion for the business. But I mean, did during the training session, some of your other train, tra uh, co-trainees, even people like Romeo and his partner, who, again, I feel bad because he was a hell of a nice guy when I met him, but I can't think of his name. I can't think of his name either. Oh, <laughs> I feel terrible about it. Uh, you know, did they, did they have issues like trust issues with working? or training with you because of the fact of the condition? First, I'll actually say Longrider was his ring name. Uh, Romeo's tag team partner. We used to call him Longrider. Okay. I can't remember his other part of it. But to answer your question to the other part of it, uh, yes, uh, there was a lot of ring in-ring issues. Uh, even after I graduated and trying to get booked by promoters, they did not want to give me that chance to show what I could actually do. And that's sad because I could see well enough to make the show work, make the show happen, uh, put the put the match over, put the, my partner over, whatever you want to call it, I can do the job is basically what I'm saying. Right. Uh, 
after training and everything, that's why RMCW was created because I felt like I was getting shunned way too much, and I loved the business way too much just to close down, as in personally. Well, how many how many years were you were you struggling in the independent scene before you finally had the idea of I'll just open my own federation? Screw these guys. Um, I started. I graduated in 1993 from Dennis's uh, school. And I believe it was 1998 is when I opened up RMCW. So through that time, how many matches did you have under your belt before you opened RMCW? Honestly, I actually had quite a bit. And I'll be and and I'll give credit where credit is due. His name is Dan, and I can't think of his last name because it's been a long time. But his name was Dan. He worked out of Kansas, and uh, he hired me and Romeo Longrider Rush, all of us to go wrestle out in Kansas almost every single week. It was, If not, it was every other week. And we would go out and drive. I mean, literally, we would pay our dues and drive out to Kansas every Friday just to be there for a Saturday night show, wrestle, drive, get back in the vehicle, and be back by work because, you know, we still had to work a 40-hour job. By Monday morning, and off to work we went. But, yes, I would actually say – uh, before I opened up RMCW, I, I at least had two, three hundred matches under my belt. How how many of the uh, people you you wrestled? And I I, I asked this one because it, it it I'm I'm counted as one at least from the RMCW standpoint. Uh, but before the RMCW standpoint, how many workers did you step in the ring with that that uh, you were booked against, and they were like, dude, I don't want to work this guy. He can't see. He's gonna you know he's gonna stiff me or he's gonna blow the spot. And and actually changed their tune after being in the ring with you. Um, and now that I remember, his name is Dan Casados was the owner. Dan Casada, yeah, that asshole. Yes. <laughs> he still owes me what money. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> There's one that's got to be bleeped. Uh, yeah, he's, yeah exactly. he still owes me money. <laughs> I know that feeling. Blood ain't blood ain't I know free. You know that feeling. <laughs> that's all i'm saying blood um, ain't free yeah there you go honestly back then the wrestlers were still considered professional they mainly went to the owner in himself you know the promoter for the night right and you know gave their concern after they got done wrestling because i don't know anything if they made concern i don't know nothing about it but after the match was over and putting them over, uh, I would think they felt comfortable. I'll give you an example. There was a guy. We were in Kansas City, and I actually had to wrestle one of their top guys. He was a big black sheriff guy. He wore the badge and everything else. And, and you know, it was like a boss man wannabe. Type. Right. Okay. And I'm in the corner, and he's running in full speed to squash me in the corner. And I moved at the very last second where I literally made it look so real that he, at the end of the match, he said, I didn't even know you were going to move. I didn't know if you actually saw me or not. He, he was one of the guys that did not believe in, you know, what I could do until I actually showed him what I was doing. Right. Well, that, that, that's the point. And, 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 you know, again, as, as example, the first time I ever stepped in the ring with you, the only thing I ever had previously with you was uh, working out in the ring where nine times out of ten we were goofing off anyway. Um, 
or the introduction, which we talked about on your show, where, you know, I thought it was the dumbest gimmick in the world, pretending to be blind until you shot me square in the nuts because I stood too ah. close to shake your hand. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's not a gimmick. Um, but uh, Yeah, I don't think people believed me until actually they met me. Well, again, you know, I was dating, I was dating Serenity at the time, Sierra, and she uh, was the one that brought me to RMCW and told them, you know, during the drive, she was the one telling me he's legally blind. I said, bullshit, it's a dumb gimmick. <laughs> How can you be blind in a wrestler? That's a stupid gimmick. And, and then when you finally shook my hand and I, and I uh, missed your hand, no, just kidding. Yeah. It was like, oh, it, it's legit. No, seriously, yeah. But, uh, you know. And, and, and it was, it was, it was legit. I was I was legitimately nervous the first time I was booked against you, and it wasn't nervous that you were going to hurt me. It was nervous I was going to hurt you, you know, in, in my aspect. And in all fairness, you gave gave as good as you got, and and I think our first ever match was flawless. And afterwards, I was like, yeah, I've got no problem ever getting in the ring with him again. Yeah. So that was going to be my question to you. I know you're the one doing the interviewing, but. <laughs> My, that was going to be my question to you. How did you feel when I stepped in the ring with you for the first time? Well, as I said, I was nervous. I was nervous. You know, like I, I was obviously egotistical enough to believe that I could control a match. So even at that point, like even if you were the drizzling, you know what, I would have been able to to somehow control the match. My concern was you wouldn't see the Iggies or you wouldn't uh, catch the spots I was calling or, or whatever. And I would wind up hurting you. You know, and I never cared about my own personal safety. I mean, look at how I bumped in the ring. You knew that, you know, yes. but I always worried about my opponent. I always worried about the person I was in the ring with. And I was especially concerned about you. When not only did you keep up with me and not blow any of the spots or anything else, but you literally were calling, you know, stuff to me and, and, you know, take when you took control and you were handling your business and, and I figured out your work ethic and how you did things by the end of the match, I was like, yeah, we can have a feud and shit. I, I don't mind. We could do this. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I'll be quite honest. If you did some Iggy's back then and, and did some sign language, during our match, I did not catch it. If I actually fell through or followed through with the match, that would, had to have been pure luck at times because uh, there's no way I would have caught the uh, the signals. Well, that's, that's one thing that I was unable to do when it came to wrestling because I was more of a contact sport wrestler. Now, I could run the ropes. I could drop down. I can do the hip tosses off the ropes. I can do all that stuff. But standing in the middle of the ring two feet from each other, if you were giving me an Iggy, uh, I would not have caught it. And I think you did. I, I think you did because I think we learned how to communicate with each other because we've, I mean, maybe not in that first match, obviously. But uh, it, it, so we, we had a good feud going for a while, uh, not only in individual competition, but in, in uh, tag team form as well. Uh, you and I worked well together for a very long time, and I think we just—I think we learned each other. And ah, you remember know. you and Tony Morales when you guys were doing the fall in, and you guys did a double hip toss on me. Yep. <laughs> when but, you guys did the double tag team on me, that's when I had a lot of fun because that—that uh, uh, that was it was new, it was interesting. Uh, you know, having to put both arms out for a double hip toss was uh, interesting. That was. Uh, 
uh, oh, you, me you being flipped over without any control. I had to, I had to put my complete trust in you, into you guys on that one. Uh, for the, for the listeners, this poor guy, and it, it, the match is actually on YouTube. Uh, there's a tag team match of the Fall versus Lightning Blind Mike and uh, Thunder. Uh, what what was Robert Amador's uh, gimmick? He I was, forget his wrestling name. It was Roberts. See, I remember Super Destroyer, Thunder. but it was the other name that he went under for Thunder, because you Thunder and Lightning at the time. Yeah, Thunder something. So you know, yes. regardless of which, this poor man. But it also shows you the dedication to to the business. This poor man wanted to put over the Fallen so much that anytime he was in the ring with us, he had to every single one of our double team moves and 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 you know uh tony morales and and i as the fallen we we like to be innovators so we were pulling out moves nobody had seen before like the rolling thunder or the uh the 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 drop down spinning heel kick you know and wait a minute i saw them because we actually trained and you said oh I want to try this on you, Mike. Yeah, but I'm saying this poor man, this poor man to, 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 to showcase it to the fans, he had to be our tackle dummy. <laughs> he took every was, single double team move. <laughs> every single double team move we could think of. <laughs> but that was your dedication. And, and it was in the backyard of, of my house. I had the ring set up, and you guys would come over and said, all right, we want to try this, this, and this. Okay, let's try it. Yeah. And the show comes along. All right, remember how we did it. <laughs> you know, and and that was that was Mike's vacation to to his workers. Um, was that he was willing to to take that? I don't remember now. I wasn't in the history of all of RMCW. Um, I I had a short stint in its long career, but I don't remember ever in my time in RMCW you ever really giving yourself a push in your own federation whether off it's for the title or or even storyline arc you you always seem to be comfortable I I actually I actually jobbed 95% of the time because I put over the and I know it's this way but I put over the sided wrestlers because they could carry the Federation further than I could if I lost more sight or anything happened. But, yes, I did. I put over the other wrestlers about 95% of the time. When I tag-teamed, we did get our wins here and there, but we still put over the other tag-team for the most part. Exactly, and and that, that that's where I was going with it. Um, well, not only that show his dedication not only to his federation but his dedication to his workers that he wanted to showcase them over his own ego uh, a lot of times and you know that's something i don't think you've ever gotten a lot of respect for and forgive the pun here but hindsight being 2020 is that something you kind of regret now that maybe you didn't give yourself (laughs) a little more time in the spotlight no honestly i really enjoyed what i did and as for the respect, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, I did not get the respect that I should have gotten. And I've never sat here and really complained about it or cried about it. But uh, I did put everybody else over as much as possible. I did ask the win here and there you know, every once in a while. But for the most part, yes, I did put everyone else over. And as promoter or wrestler, I still never got that respect that i should have received let's see now i gotta i gotta ask uh two personal career questions to you 
because they're they're very important okay. to RMCW because they happen in RMCW honestly. But uh, there there's two important personal career questions I've got to ask. You never put me over for the heavyweight title. You did put me over for interregional. You did put me over for tag team, but I was never put over for for the heavyweight for the heavyweight strap. I understand I wasn't big enough, but uh. There's two things you gave me in my career that followed me beyond my career, but it was it was my, beyond my RMCW career, but it was mainly set up in RMCW, and I wonder if it was happenstance or or uh, purposefully. And the two things I'm talking about is that as Matt Wilde, I have never lost a tables match, and as the Fallen, specifically as the 13th Apostle, we have never lost a triple cross match. As the table match, that's just how it ended up. I don't know how it happened, <laughs> but you never lost the table match. That I don't know why, but that's just how it happened. As for the Fallen, when it came to a triple threat match, I would have to say it just fell in, in that direction as well. I never planned it. Okay, I always wondered if you were if you were doing uh, doing the Undertaker with the Fallen as far as Triple Cross, which for people who don't know, Triple Cross was was RMCW's WrestleMania. That was their event. I'll let Mike describe what the Triple Cross was, but every Triple Cross of the inception of the Fallen, we went over no matter who we were against. Like we could have been wrestling. Sean Michaels, Marty Jannetty, and and Leaf Cassidy, and we would have gone over because whatever reason. That's just how it happened. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Triple Cross is sort of like uh, WWE's uh, Survivor Series. That's basically what it was because it was a night of nothing but a night of triple threat matches. Not triple threat, I should say. Uh, six man six, tag. It was almost like a six man tag team. Yes. Six man tag team elimination. Yes. You know, so when I when I say the Fallen never lost a match, I mean the Fallen tag team. Doesn't mean that the Apostle wasn't pinned and eliminated, or or whatever the case may be. But our team would wind the victors at the end of the elimination. Correct. You know, Correct. so just for clarity, and I always wondered if that was something that was by design. <laughs> no, actually, it was not. It just it just fell that way. There was a couple things that fell into alignment. Uh, just by, I would just say just by chance or by accident or however you want to put it. But as for that, no, you guys, you never lost a table match and the Fallen never lost a triple, uh, yeah, let me get my words straight, a triple cross matchup. Now, see, that's, that's something I always wanted to know, and I'm, I'm putting you on the spot for it now. That's the end of my personal career involvement with you. I wanted to get more into your career. Uh, <laughs> this is this is, this is is a show where you're the guest, not yeah. me. Um, yeah. Actually, to be quite honest, I, and I'm going to be honest with you here, I did wrestle for over 20 years. Right. I was 21. I retired when I was about 46. Okay. And... To be quite honest, I never felt I had a wrestling career. I actually felt that I had a job to do. It was something I loved doing, and I considered it a job, and that was uh, to promote and and have a place for me to wrestle. It was. It, I guess it was more as a more of a personal vendetta, as in I can do it. I can be a part of this world, and nobody can me not. Even though I did put up with all the uh, non-believers or 
people telling me that I shouldn't even belong in this business. I still did it for 20 years, but I would still say that it was not a career. It was more like a personal vendetta. Well, it brings up a very good question. Do you feel that that, uh, that uh, point had gotten across? Um, looking back on it now, like, do you feel that uh, the naysayers were silenced, or do you still feel the animosity towards those who, who didn't treat you with the respect due? No, I, actually, I got cut short. A, you left, so you left me high and dry. How dare you leave me high and dry? Yeah, no, well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I tried to do the whole music no, thing but, again. <laughs> uh, it actually came. <laughs> it actually came down to me losing my eyesight, and I just cannot continue. I, if I never lost the eyesight when I did, I probably would still be doing shows today. Okay, and uh, just just for clarification. I left and and this is this is vindication for you when i left and uh-huh. uh, pro wrestling in 2007 gave an early retirement which i came out of because i was dragged kicking and screaming when i came back to philadelphia um and went back to music it was literally because i could not handle the politics of the business anymore it was it was ruining the fun for me yes you know i was you remember at that 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 2006 2007 i was so injured by the business that i didn't even look forward to the shows anymore i just did my business and left and i knew that's exactly how i felt to be quite honest and and that's why i'm giving you some vindication because you outlasted me as it took me a couple years to get back when it started being fun again i know you believed into the business I know you believed into the business as in, uh, you know, what you're trained for, what you believed in, but my dedication, I guess you could say would be the best word right now until I could think of something else, uh, <laughs> made me want to continue on, even though I lost, I mean, I lost more money than I did make money running for almost 20 years in RMCW. There was one year that I made a lot of money and that's when we were on up and 20 there for a while right and we had to turn around and pay back the tv people but we still made a lot of money but uh you know if it would have held on that would have been great but yes to be quite honest i as soon as shows were going on and on it was just more of all right let's get the next show on let's get it going as soon as the flyers came out they looked great let's let's put them up i mean there was no excitement or anything anymore it was just more of a uh a robot type of attitude. And that that's exactly it. And of course at that time I personally had some personal issues going on in my life that that uh didn't help much either. <laughs> but yeah, when I when I walked away you still kept going and you I mean even though RMCW was was more of a job than than excitement for you, you still held on and and fought through that belief. Again, speaks volumes to your dedication to the craft. You know, um, well, I just wanted to, I just wanted it to be exciting again. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want it to control me, but it did. It actually wrestling can control you, and it did control me. It, it actually controlled me to the point where I was not going to give up until I was satisfied. Until I, even though I did not win in the ring, and I was ninety five percent of a jobber. Until I was successful putting on shows, I wouldn't have been happy. So when my eyesight was taken away from me, it basically 
probably did me a favor. It said, all right, I'm taking your eyesight away. You can't do any more shows. Move on with your life. You know, that's basically how I took it. And when, when your eye took that away, unfortunately, it did end your career earlier than, than you would have wanted, even though you and I have had conversations of, well, you could always still run a business or, or manage or or I'd made the joke of being the blind referee, um, <laughs> of course. But uh, <clears throat> that, and I that's... did play the blind referee one time. Yes, you did. <laughs> and then, understand, Mike and I have that relationship. That I can make those jokes, and it came from in ring making those jokes because I was the bad guy at the time. And uh, we, yes. it just, it just carried outside of the ring. He knows I'm joking for anybody listening. I'm, I'm not, I'm not picking. His impairment. In fact, he knows that I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. Um, but the uh, when when that all ended, uh, that I've got to ask this question: How does it make you feel when you go on social medias and 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 YouTube, for example, um, or or even Facebook? I know there's group uh, group pages dedicated. I created one dedicated to the tribute of RMCW or before he passed away when Robert Amador was talking about trying to get RMCW to reopen a legacy that you created that's still talked about even to this day. How does that make you feel? (laughs) Honestly, that, that part is really cool because people remember the name, but I just wish I could have made it bigger. I really do. I mean, there was times we were on UPN 20 and we did make it big. We went back downhill. We came up a little bit more a couple times, but then it went back downhill again. Uh, if I could have made it bigger, yes. But as for walking away and feeling accomplished, no. I felt like it was actually taken away from me. Have you ever given thoughts to reopening? I mean, obviously, you don't live in Colorado anymore, but, you know, have you given thoughts to reopening a federation, taking another shot, even if it's not in in ring for you? I have, but then I've sat there and looked at the pros and cons. Uh, The pros is as in uh, I could give a lot to this business with my ideas and thoughts. The cons part of it would have been uh, it's no longer old school. There's no longer old school rules involved. And I would be outdated. So I thought about it, but I honestly, I have held back because I didn't think I could make another impact on it. You know, I think you're wrong on that aspect. And I, I'm, I'm going to challenge uh, another wrestling promoter slash friend of mine out here in Philadelphia to come on with you one day, uh, who is very, very old school. And, uh, I think a good conversation could come from that. But uh before before neither here nor there, um again with the with the concepts, I don't I don't necessarily think that old school well, old school's dead, yes. But I don't think there isn't a place for old school. I think the best way I could describe it is during the days of the WWF attitude and WCW, the Monday Night Wars both were putting on pretty much the exact same product with each other. And out of the darkness came a federation that was completely and utterly different. And that was ECW. And this is not Philadelphia fandom here. This is this is speaking purely on, on technique and, and the mechanics of, of the working business for people listening. ECW was a revolution not because it was some tagline on a t-shirt. They were a revolution because they brought something that was completely different and they used that completely different angle 
to push their way into the spotlight in a, in the days of, of, for lack of a better term, traditional style professional wrestling. I think the same could be said in today, where today they have a little bit more extreme. They have a little bit more, it's entertainment as opposed to the old school brawlers, you know, mentality of, of the sport back, back in the 70s, 80s, you know, the, the old school mentality. I think if a federation really came out pushing those values, I think it would be looked at as something special and unique as opposed to just another cookie cutter federation. Now, I was never going to bring up this before, uh, ever again, but I'll go ahead and because I thought about it. And now that you mentioned Undertaker and other wrestlers, old school can still happen, but to a certain point. Yes, I have been putting thought into it for quite a long time. <laughs> And because it's never lost, it's never left me. But if you get a Undertaker, not with uh, not as the same gimmick, so we're not going to try to copy a, a gimmick, right? But if you also take the Ultimate Warrior and wrestlers like that, maybe even a uh, Rick Rude, or you know where they are almost like it, not not even close to an, uh, an Ultimate Warrior, but that type of mentality. If you get somebody with that high energy. And the larger, the larger life than life attitude, as in the Undertaker, larger than life attitude. That kind of gimmick could actually run still in the ring and make an impact to these modern day wrestlers, because it puts someone in the fantasy world back to that fantasy world where uh, I want to be like that wrestler, or that's such a really cool gimmick. I think something like that could actually still happen, but who's going to take the chance and try to go backwards, I guess you could say with the clock and try to put something together like that and see if it'll actually work. I don't see anybody actually going backwards and trying that. I don't know. Like I, like I said, I think, I think there's a place for it. And I think, I think that's probably what the sport is screaming for right now. Again, with, with, uh, with, with, with the, the way wrestling trends are, uh, as, as you and I both agree, um, wrestling trends have gotten more, mainstream entertainment as opposed to the old uh, kayfabe days you know uh hardcore has become more commonplace tna has become more commonplace in, in the professional wrestling scene gimmicks have become more of uh there there's still some outlandish ones so don't get me wrong here but i mean uh have become more realistic and this is really weird coming from a guy who spent 20 years as a street kid um but <clears throat> You know, uh, the, the the gimmicks have become more realistic and less over the top sensationalism. That yes, that it's all right. Give me one second. <laughs> that uh, like that uh, the the pro wrestling hey, scene, the pro wrestling. For... Yep, Alexa, what time is it? All right, keep talking, Chris. I'm I'm got to put a show on at the same time we're talking. Oh, no problem. Uh, that that pro wrestling that pro wrestling has stepped into a, a world where all that has, been, like I said, cookie cutter. It's the exact same thing, no matter what show you're turning it tuning into. The caliber of in ring work obviously is not in question. We're just talking about what you see coming to the ring every time, as far as character personalities and. And uh, who gets pushed, who doesn't get pushed, uh, what types of people get pushed, who doesn't get pushed. 
I think the old school mentality where I don't want to use the term comic book figures, but the larger than life, the, for lack of a better term, the superhero style professional wrestler, I think will be a refreshing change in, in, in the current industry. And I don't know, maybe somebody will take that, uh, take that chance and see if I'm right. Maybe it'll be you. I don't know. But, uh, I, I, I do. I, I firmly believe, as much as I believed back when RMCW was around, that there was a place for the what became modern-style wrestling today, I firmly believe that old school still has its place as well. And I guess it would take... I, yeah, guess, old... I guess it would take somebody proving me wrong to for me to admit that I was wrong in that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, old school is definitely moved on but and i do apologize i had to run around the house here the second i had one other thing i do we're definitely running past time but uh one thing that is is old school has come and gone but i think there are some places and some ideas that i do have that i think old school will appear again and now i'm just waiting to see now you mentioned the other thing too that Modern wrestling has come about, and it's some of the stuff is really cool. And one of the things I will give to the modern wrestling is that the female wrestlers are actually wrestling now. It's not all about eye candy anymore. I I agree, but disagree because it's it, it, it's weird, and this is definitely a topic of conversation we could have uh, as far as the female wrestler is concerned. Um, I, I definitely think there's more of a spotlight and focus on the female wrestler, and it's less on the how sexy she is or is not. Um, with that said, though, I don't think the caliber of female wrestlers today hold a candle to the female wrestlers of the 80s and early 90s. What I mean is, like, I would not put, like, uh, Alexa Bliss, I think is her name, I would not put her in the same caliber as Medusa, for example. No, for the fact that Medusa psychology and the wrestling business was their world. Nowadays, it's move for move for move. There might be some selling going on, but it's all about the attitude in the ring. You know, how bad is this chick going to be? Or how how bad can she really be and talk? And what's her attitude like? I mean, but it, it is not the same as eye candy as it was before, but you're right. I give you credit for that because uh, people like Sherry Martel, Medusa, all them, uh, still uh, are a lot better than what the wrestler, the female wrestlers are today. And, you know, I base that specific, I, I'm not taking away from their talent. They, they do know how to do the moves. They do know how to work a crowd. I'm not, I'm not saying the modern female wrestler doesn't do that. How, and, and are they better than the, like the attitude Trish uh, Stratus era of female wrestling? Absolutely. A hundred thousand percent. But like when somebody like awesome Kong took a bump in the ring, it was deliberate, and it sounded just as, as strong as if somebody like Andre the Giant took that bump because they were throwing it out there. And the female wrestlers today, one of the things that I see, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, you know, but from what I've seen, the matches that I've seen, it almost feels pulled back. Yes. You know, like they're afraid they're not, they're to get not, too dirty. They're not allowed dirty. to go full force anymore. Right. They're not allowed to be dirty with it. And I think that... I, 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 
that's a hindrance. I think let them go. If you really want to legitimize the diva division or the whatever they call it nowadays, the women's division of professional wrestling, you got to let them go and show that they are as larger than life as, as the guys have always been throughout the history of pro wrestling. I think you have Correct. to let them do it. Correct. You know. But yes, I actually, Chris, I have to get going here. We've been on for an hour. All right. Well, that's it. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to cut that off at the end or whatever. Well, I'm going to cut it off like this. I'm inviting you back for okay. a part two because there's plenty more we got to get into with Blind Mike. So, quite honestly, the rubber match idea is a good idea. Not even just me. <laughs> not just you. We can get Chris uh, Chris Michaels involved in this and maybe some other people too if I could pull it off. That'd be a fun one. But uh, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I, obviously, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be joining uh, Blind Cafe Radio again. We got to talk about that before we let you go here. Uh, Blind Cafe okay. Radio, let people know where they can find it, what it's about, and what's going on with it. Uh, Blind Cafe Radio is an actually a, I would call it an affiliate of BlindCafe.net. And you're probably going to ask me what's BlindCafe.net. BlindCafe.net is a chat site of Team Talk. Yes, I know Team Talk is old school now compared to what's out there, but uh, it helps blind people actually get involved with the world uh, because they can sit there and chat with people, learn how to be sociable. Um, you know, it, it gives them something to do to talk instead of being sitting at home and sitting in the corner and doing nothing. Uh, for example. I just had a guy come over yesterday, one of uh, Julie's, uh, her son, and one of her, one of his friends, and he said, oh, how are you doing with the, everything going on? I said, well, I hate being stuck at home. And he goes, what do you mean stuck at home? You're at home all the time. Basically, he said that I'm stuck at home all the time because I'm blind. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I probably go out more than you do. I go, I take Uber out everywhere. I do this, I do that. And I used to travel. I'm very independent and... But that's what arms. That's what arms do. That's what uh, Blind Cafe is all about. It helps uh, blind people become sociable and they become confident in themselves. Right. So, uh, Blind Cafe Radio was formed because then you get some of the blind DJs. There are some blind DJs on the radio that are really good. You couldn't even tell that they actually had an eyesight issue. Uh, it gives them a purpose. It gives them you know, something they really know how to do. And a lot of 90% blind people actually know their music. They could, you know, run circles around you. <laughs> Challenge accepted. No. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Blind Cafe Radio is uh, a place where you can come and enjoy music. At the same time, we have live DJs. They come in, they put on great entertainment shows for you. As for example, me, every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock Eastern, I put on In the Ring with Lightning Blind Mike. You should come in and take a listen. I will do some talking about some wrestlers from the past, as in superstars. But for the most part, I'm going to actually try to start uh, talking to uh, uh, current wrestlers and former wrestlers that were in the business uh, every time that I go on the air now. You're welcome. No. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Oh, by the way, thank you, Matt. No, no, I wasn't looking. I wasn't looking for a thanks, but uh, yes, you were with the with the with the uh, with the viewing of past or current professional. I had the distinct honor of being one of your, and uh, that that is something I I'm you know blessed and grateful for, and also 
completely scared to death that I have to come back on what in a couple is, uh, of weeks. What is your girlfriend think? Uh, she thinks I need to get my ass upstairs for dinner. <laughs> but, uh, no, well, she... I'm talking about being one of your first. Oh, man. Um... <laughs> I'm sorry, I threw you off on that Yeah, one. you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but, uh, it also has me completely and utterly scared about coming back on in a couple of weeks because you said there's a for me and I'm kind of scared of them. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't be scared. There's going to be some pretty cool questions. I can, uh... Of course, I will weed out the, uh, the the ridiculous ones, as in uh, how many uh, girlfriends did you have in bed at the same time? You know, things like that, but I'll, I'll make sure I weed them out. Nah, you can leave them in. I'll answer them. <laughs> Might have to be edited for air broadcast, but I'll answer them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, absolutely. And of course, I, I, I want to have you on it was an absolute pleasure i i liked it and i've i've stated it on numerous occasions uh whenever speaking of professional wrestling you were one of the first people i always bring up as an inspiration as somebody who fought uh diversity or not diversity but uh 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 fought against the grain of the status quo that a lot of people had held towards professional wrestling especially with uh people who are you know, uh, physically or, or mentally, uh, impaired or disabled in some way, shape or form. I've uh-huh. always used you as, as a, uh, as a catalyst for some of the, 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 the great that came from pro pro wrestling and that people who think they can't are wrong. And he's living proof that you can. Uh-huh. So I, I mean, so you just use me as the, the handicapped blind guy. Hey, I know this handicapped blind guy. He was such an idiot. I used it a lot of times to humble some people, to be completely honest with you. Some people with egos is like, well, I know a blind guy who works circles around you. <laughs> and the sad part is I could I could work the ring. Uh, I like to see, I, I mean, I hate to put it this way, too. I like to see you and other people blindfolded and try to run the ropes. Did, I mean, fast, too. And I'm not talking about uh, taking your time and walking across the ring. I'm talking about literally running the ropes. Uh, get, uh, so there's I, a challenge for you. Didn't I hurt myself enough in wrestling? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't think I could do. I'll be. I don't think I could do it. I've always joked about a blindfolded right, so match against you, but I, it, you know, I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> here's a challenge to all the wrestlers out there, because I know you're going to put this out on the air. So here's a challenge to all the wrestlers out there: be make sure you're completely 100% blindfolded. Have somebody film you trying to run the ropes and let me know how that worked out for you. Well, everything's a cadence. It can be learned. Uh, I, I, you know what? Do that. Do that. Do that and send me the videos. I will compilation video it and put it up on Realm of the Mist. I, I agree with that. That is a challenge. That is a challenge to all active wrestlers. Go to the center, put a blindfold on, and see if you can run the ropes. Do, do, do your typical uh, five up and back. Yeah, and just just yeah, see how it works. Five times back and forth, correct? Yeah, you know, and and just see just see how that works out for you. But guys, I'm definitely gonna have Mister uh, Mister Blind Mike back on. Uh, guys, go check out Blind Cafe Radio uh, at blindcafe.net. It it's a great cause. Let people know you care and check out his great show. I'm on it once, but there's other people that come on as well, and it's just an awesome experience. Mike, thank you very much for coming on, and I look forward to having you on again for Blown Spot 
on Realm of the Thanks Mist. Thanks a lot, Matt. I appreciate it. No, not a problem. And guys, we will catch you next time. Till then, you still got a 10 count. Hey guys, it's Chris from Realm of the Mist Entertainment. If you enjoyed this video, please hit that thumbs up button. Like, share, comment, subscribe. Check out all the other great podcasts that can be found on Realm of the Mist Entertainment's YouTube channel or our sister channel, Sounds Dicey Gaming, for all your tabletop needs. And if you prefer your podcasts in audio-only format, check out Realm of the Mist Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. To our Patreon supporters, we thank you very, very much. And if you're interested in being a Patreon supporter, please go over to patreon.com slash realm of the mist and just a dollar a month gives you exclusive content and helps our channel out greatly. Guys, again, thank you very much for joining us and we will see you on the next episode.